Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. If you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Gospel Record of Luke. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 5. The Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 5. We are in a series of the miracles of Christ. And through this series, we're just surveying several different miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We're going to have a second part of this coming up a little bit later on in the year. But we understand that there are 35 miracles that are recorded inside of the Word of God. Now we know that not all the miracles that Jesus did is recorded. The Bible talks about in the Gospel record of John that if everything was recorded about what Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough books to write or to contain everything that Jesus did. And so we understand with that idea that the 35 miracles that God chose to record Each of them are going to be important. Each of them are trying to teach us something about himself. Each one of them is there for an emphasis. And so now we come to the gospel record of Luke in chapter number 5. And we see here another miracle that is recorded. Notice with me in the gospel record of Luke chapter 5. And let's pick it up in verse number 17. Luke chapter 5 and verse 17, the word of God says this. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of God was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed <coughs> brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to reason saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it be easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. And they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And if you don't mind, if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, mark a phrase that we find in the Gospel record of Luke chapter 5. The Gospel record of Luke chapter 5, and notice with me in verse number 20, the phrase, He saw their faith. He saw their faith. 
And so as we go through this, this story of the man with the palsy, what an important phrase here that he saw their faith. He saw their faith. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> when Jesus Christ, what is happening here is that he is teaching. He is in the house. Uh, <laughs> and notice what it says in the gospel record of Luke chapter number five at the very beginning. It says, in verse number 17, and it came to pass on a certain day, as he, that's Jesus, was teaching, there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, it's important to understand that phrase. That's going to come to play later. But here you have Pharisees and Sadducees and doctors of the laws and scribes. People who are very religious. And they're gathered together in the house. The gospel record of Mark says that there was a great press around the house. Now that doesn't mean that Fox News was there and ABC and CNN. But the idea of the press is that there were so many people that they were in and they were all trying to look at Jesus. They were all trying to hear. So Jesus is inside of a house. The house is full and it's full on the outside. People are trying to listen, trying to hear. And Jesus is talking to these doctors of the law, talking to these religious leaders, talking to these folks here. And as he's speaking to them, we could see that there's a, um, a man who is sick of the palsy. And Friends, the gospel record of Mark records that there are four friends that what they do is they pick him up. And so this couch it carries the idea of a bedding. And so if you can imagine kind of like a mattress or, or uh, just a thick blanket. And so they have this man who is paralyzed. That means he can't walk. It's not like they could walk him through. So his four friends pick him up. Each grab a corner. And they start going in. But they can't get to him because of the press, the Bible says. And so they get inventive. So what these four guys do is they take the mattress and they carry it. And they lift the guy and put him on top of the roof. Now, the Bible just says that they came down from the roof. But if they came down from the roof, they had to get to the roof. So imagine... How difficult it would be. You're carrying a guy in a blanket. You got to get him up to the roof. And the people try. You know this is some work. And this is some effort here. This isn't an idea where it's just easy. They are trying to get their friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they get to the very top of the roof. And a lot of those roofs there. In um, the, uh, the promised land area. Was, um, was a flat roof type thing. So they carried him. Got to the flat roof. And they said alright. I think this is where Jesus is. And they begin to dig down. It had tile roofs and they took the tiles off. And then underneath that was the roofing. And you can imagine this. Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden you hear some pounding up on the roof. You know, it's kind of like the kids playing ball upstairs. And you can hear bouncing around. And next thing you know, you can see some dust starting to come in. And the people are just looking. And what's going on here? And more dust comes. And next thing you know, you see sunlight coming in. And... Jesus stops and everyone's looking up at the ceiling. I mean, wouldn't that grab some attention if someone started coming from the ceiling as we're teaching right here? Nobody would pay attention to me anymore. Everyone's looking up the roof. And so now they've got to not only make a hole in the roof, but they've got to make a hole in the roof big enough to get their friend down in a blanket. And so they do. 
And so maybe someone hops down and they start lowering the guy. I mean, this is logistics. There's things here. And the whole meeting is stopped as everyone is watching them. And of course, there's probably some people criticizing like, what are these guys doing? Look at the vandalism. What? They're disturbing the meeting. And they bring this, their friend down. And they're bringing him to Jesus. I don't mind as we examine that. That's kind of the, the rough sketches of it. Let's hit some things here dealing with this story. The first thing I want to bring your attention to was the paralyzed man. The paralyzed man. We start off with this man who was paralyzed. This man was sick of the palsy. He uh, is paralyzed. He cannot walk. And what we understand is here is a man who could not get to Jesus if he wanted to. He could not walk to Jesus. He could not get there himself. He is someone in a condition that cannot get to Jesus. He cannot come and have his life changed. This is a picture, by the way, of all of us. All of us have our sins, uh, have things about our sins. Every one of us uh, is away from God. There is none righteous, no, not one. A person can't do anything to get himself to God. And so someone had to come and bring them. I want you to think about yourself. That There was one day you didn't know about Christ. One day you were far away from Christ. One day you rebelled against Christ. Maybe even there was a time in your life where you didn't want to know anything about Christ. But someone, even in your condition, came to you and brought you to the Lord. Someone told you about it. Whether someone left you a track and you read a track. Whether someone gave you a Bible and you read a Bible. Whether someone brought you to church. Whether someone explained it to you. Whether someone uh, witnessed to you. Someone came to you and brought you to the Lord. That's a necessary element. There are tons of people who cannot go to Christ. Will not go to Christ. Don't have the ability to go to Christ on their own. They need someone to bring them to the Lord. Many people are like that today. That's how we were. And someone had to bring us to him. It's amazing that even the, um, where they're located at. They're located in Galilee, Pernium. And I want to remind you what it says here, the gospel record of Luke chapter number 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which had come out of every town of Galilee and Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. You know, here is a God, Jesus, who was God, dwelling among them. There with them. And he had the power to do miracles. He had the power to do things. Could you imagine? Jesus was able to heal anyone and everyone. Hold your finger here and let's see the rebuke of Jesus Christ upon this area in the gospel record of Matthew chapter 11. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 11. It said that the power of healing was present there. There was an ability to heal anyone and everyone. <laughs> Look with me in the gospel record of um, Matthew chapter 11. And notice Jesus's cry unto this, these areas. The gospel record of Matthew chapter 11. Notice with me in verse 20. 
uh, Matthew eleven twenty. Then began he, that's Jesus, to abrade. This has the idea of rebuke, to, to uh, criticize, to, to uh, cry over the city. Then he began to abrade the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Why? Because they repented not. In this Galilee area, this Capernaum area, this is where Jesus did the majority of his miracles, including this one here. He did so many miracles. The power of healing was present. It was available for anyone. He had this power. He did a lot of miracles here. But notice this. He began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done. Why? Because they repented not. Here's what he actually said. Woe unto thee, Chorzoran. Woe unto thee, Bethesda. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which thou exalted which art exalted to heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee have been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. What it's speaking about is that God, Jesus, had did many miracles within this area. And yet, with all of these miracles... There were so many people who still refused to believe in God. So many people who refused. So much that Jesus, who knows everything, he says, you remember Sodom, which is a story recorded in Genesis 19. You have the story of Lot and his family. And the angels came to get Lot and his family out of the city because they were going to destroy it. And it wasn't just Sodom and Gomorrah. They were seven cities of the plain. And even in Jesus' day, you can go to the south part of the the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, or not the Sea of Galilee, the Dead Sea. And even in Jesus' time, the seven cities of the plain, which would include Sodom and Gomorrah, were still above water. It was shortly after Jesus' day that the, the Dead Sea went uh, enlarged enough that it covered those seas. Today, if you go to this de uh, Dead Sea area, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah is underneath the sea. But during the time, you could still go in Jesus' day, go to Sodom and say, this is what happens when the wrath of God comes. They still have the ruins there. And Jesus is saying, you remember Sodom? How God destroyed it? If the miracles that were done here were done there, everyone would have repented and said, you know what? There's God. I believe God. I trust in God. But here's these cities that had all of the privilege of seeing these mighty works. And yet there were some that refused to believe. So much that God says that Sodom is going to have a more tolerable judgment than you. What does that mean? We understand when it comes to the judgment of God, that the judgment of God is not necessarily on how bad your sins are. It's how well you responded or rejected the light that was given to you. There are many people who've heard the gospel over and over and over. And when they stand before God, they're going to have a worse judgment than someone who never had the opportunity to hear. Because it, we have to respond to the light that was given to us. And again, we're putting a big emphasis here that Jesus had done great, uh, lots of miracles. 
And yet he's sitting with a crowd that refused to believe in him. So what Jesus did is had a miracle be brought to him. And he did it in front of them so they couldn't deny it. This is still part of the backdrop. But we have here the paralyzed man. Turn back with me to the gospel record of Luke. And we see not only the paralyzed man. But we see the partners in service. The partners in service. Again the gospel record of Mark chapter 2. The parallel story tells us that there are four men. And each one of them grabbed a corner. Each one of them worked together to bring that man to the Lord. They labored. They partnered together. In Tennessee, there was a church called Highland Park uh, Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple uh, Schools where they trained thousands of preachers. And in 1948, they had uh, Dr. Lee Robertson preached this message about take a corner, pick up a corner, be like one of these four men and bring people to the Lord. You can grab a corner. These are nameless people. We don't ever have their name ever recorded. But these nameless people, they said, I'm going to take a corner and I'm going to make it my responsibility to bring people to Jesus. Even if it's not, even if it's, there's going to be obstacles, I'm going to bring people to Jesus. Well, after church, he had a man by the name of M.J. Parker who came to Dr. Robertson and said, I want to take up a corner. I understand the Bible says that the purpose of Jesus is to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus had the one main purpose, and it's still his purpose today. He wants to see people saved. That's his one main purpose. And so M.J. Parker said, Dr. Robertson, I'm going to take up a corner. I'm going to make it my responsibility to bring people to the Lord. Dr. Robertson said, had at it. And so what M.J. Parker began to do is he began to pack his car full of people. Eight people, 10 people, 12 people, squeezed him in his car and brought him to church. After a while, he went to Dr. Robertson and said, Dr. Robertson, can I have a bus? My car is getting too full. Dr. Robertson said, if you keep bringing people in your car like this, I'll, if you're consistent with it, I'll get you a bus. And sure enough, he got a bus. And he began to fill that bus and fill that bus. There was one Sunday that M.J. Parker brought 1,200 people in 100 buses to church. Because a man said, I'm going to pick up a corner. By the way, this was the birth of what we call the bus ministry. Which now thousands of people in America have been saved because of the influence of the bus ministry. Just because one man said, I'm going to pick up a corner. I'm going to make it my business. I'm going to bring people to the Lord. I'm going to get them there. I'm going to pick up a corner. And that's exactly what these four men did. They picked up a corner. And they went and brought him to Jesus. You know, there was many obstacles in the way. You had the obstacle of the press. Well, we can't get to Jesus. It's too busy, you know. I, I, sorry, man. You're out of luck. They could have, could have just said, I can't do it. They had to get creative. How do I get him to Jesus? And so they had to be creative. They had to go to the roof. And they opened up the roof to get it. They weren't going to let anything stop them from getting people to Jesus. We look at people today and it doesn't take much at all for people not to uh, talk to people about the Lord. It doesn't take much of an obstacle to get people. It's too cold. It's too nice. There's a song, Excuses, Excuses. We hear them every day. And people have all kinds of excuses. Dr. Curtis Hudson uh, 
mentioned that there was one day he knocked on a man's door to see if he could get him to Sunday school. And he says, will you please go to Sunday school? And the guy says, I can't. He says, well, why not? He says, because I got a quarter milk in the fridge. Quarter milk. What does that have to do with anything? The man said, one excuse is as good as another. Right? There's all kinds of excuses. All kinds of excuses. And there's excuses why people can't tell others about the Lord. Well, I just can't speak. Well, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'm afraid of what people are going to say. It's too hard. It's too cold. But these four men said, we're not going to let any obstacle get in our way. We're going to determine we're going to get people to the Lord. We're going to pick up our corner and we're going to do what it takes to get this man to the Lord. Praise the Lord for those people who pick up the corner. Who did that? And that took work. And people looked at him. And people criticized him. I can't believe those people tearing. They had no respect for anything. People criticized him. But they brought him to Jesus. They knew they couldn't do anything themselves. They had to get him to the Lord. And that was their goal. They picked him up. They picked up a corner. They brought him here. And so notice again what Jesus said here. Notice in chapter 5. And in verse number, ah, let's pick it up running start. Verse number 19. And when they could not find by which way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they, these four men, went upon the housetop and let him, the man with the palsy, down through the tiling with his couch in the mist before Jesus. Notice in verse 20. And when he, that's Jesus, saw their faith. He was not looking faith of the man with a palsy. He looked upon their faith. The soul winner's faith. He saw these people that said, I need to get him to Jesus because it is Jesus that can heal them. It is Jesus that can help them. And when Jesus saw their faith, he turned to the man of the palsy and said, <laughs> let me read it, not quote it. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, so he saw their faith. Then he turned to him, the one that was with the sick with the palsy. Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So he saw their faith. They said, we need to get him to the Lord. If we could just get him to the Lord, Jesus will take care of it. And so they did their part of bring him to the Lord. Jesus saw their faith and he was willing to forgive and work in this man's life. Now he said, <laughs> Um, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Now, of course, this is where the criticism came up. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all said in their hearts, they're not saying out loud, they're gossiping, they're talking to each other, they're not saying it out loud. They're saying, who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they're already criticizing. Who's this guy? Only God can forgive sins. Who's this guy think that he is, that he could forgive sins? Parallel passage says he knew what that was in their hearts. Here it says, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts. Jesus knows what people are thinking. And he knew their thoughts. He knew they were criticizing. So he said, fine, let me prove to you I can forgive sins. Which one's easier to say, forgive your sins or to rise up and walk? Hey, you, get up. The guy got up, grabbed his mat, his blanket, and walked out. He had a four people carry him and put him in, but he walked out carrying the stuff. Praise the Lord for that. And Jesus said, 
I just want to let you know, I have the power to forgive sins because I am God. And to prove it, here's a miracle. Which brings us to the third thing here. We start with a paralyzed man. A man who could not get to the Lord by himself. He needed help. So we see the partners in a service. These four men brought this man to Christ. Then we see the power of God. That Jesus looks down at this man and says, rise up and walk. And the guy gets up and it proved. Remember, what is the whole purpose of miracles? Why are they recorded? It's not just for satisfaction. It's not for us to go ooh and all. But they're to teach us something. Jesus has the power to do miracles. And here it is an evidence that he also has the power to forgive sins. Jesus is able to forgive all of our sins. To wash them away. Because he paid the price for it. He took, took it. Remember... That for us, the greatest evidence that the Bible is true, the greatest evidence that what we say about biblical salvation is true, is the evidence of a changed life. The evidence of a changed life. I was dealing with a family this week who their daughter <laughs> having some, um, they're not part of our church, uh, they're outside, I was just working with them, and uh, they were saying, we're having problems with our daughter. She is disobedient. She's got these health problems. She's got these other things. And we don't know what to do. She's not responding well to us. And I said, one of the best things you can do is that you can live the Christian life. You can get closer with the Lord. You can change. And as you change, she will witness that and say there's something going on. You say, how does that work? Well, the Bible gives the promise in First Peter chapter number 3. In that chapter, it is dealing with the idea of a scenario of a saved woman and an unsaved woman. And it says that if any woman have a man that believeth not, he could be one without the word. He could be one without the word? How? By her changed life. Let's turn there so that way you can see it yourself. The book of First Peter chapter 3. The book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. Notice, if you don't mind, in 1 Peter, chapter number 3. And notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Peter, chapter 3, and verse number 1. It says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word. So if they have a husband that refuses to obey the Bible, the answer is not to take the Bible and beat them over the head with it. It doesn't work. So if you have an unbelieving husband that, don't, that doesn't want to obey the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. The word conversation here isn't just merely how someone speaks, but it is the behavior of their life. It goes on, verse number two, while they behold the unsaved husbands, behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning... Uh, let it not be the outward adorning of plating of hair and of wearing of gold or putting of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So here the Bible gives this promise here. That if you have someone that doesn't believe the word of God and you've tried to explain and they're not going to listen, they could be won by going through the back door. How does that work? By you becoming the very best Christian. By you growing closer to the Lord. Allowing him to change you from the inside out. 
And people who know us, they know us. And they watch us. I explain when I talk to uh, people about the promise that the first thing they're going to do is they're going to scratch their head and say, what's going on? And they may say, we just want to see if uh, this is going to last. But when it lasts, it confuses them. What is going on? What's changing? And it begins to work with them. I explained this couple here. Um, I said, you could lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. They all nod at their head. But you could put salt in its oats. You can make it thirsty. And so if we live a life as we look towards the Lord, as we get closer to God, people who know us will see the changes. And sometimes they're subtle changes, but they could see them and say something happened to them. Something's different. And they, if the more of a change, now the goal is not change, the goal is God. But as we follow God, there will be differences. People will watch those differences and they'll say, something happened. I want what happened to them. I've given the testimony before of a young man who... Um, we led to the Lord, and it was amazing how we came to know the Lord. But he began to go through discipleship. And he began to develop the habit of obedience to Christ and began to follow him. Well, he had a twin brother who made a profession of faith and who was halfway active in his church. And I remember after uh, working with that one young man for a while, and he began to really change, and it was consistent. And his family was watching and saying, what happened to you? What's different? I remember I wasn't at church. I was at retirement home service. I was, just got through teaching old people. And I come out and this young man is waiting for me out in the parking lot. That's always a good sign, right? And he comes up and says, you, whatever you did to my brother, do that to me. And he began to go through discipleship. Both of them are missionaries now, by the way. What happened? Well, he began to see that there was real changes in his brother's life. And he realizes there was something different. There was something real about it. There was something that changed in him. Well, the same principle is true. That as we follow the Lord, there's going to be changes in our life. And that is going to be the evidence that other people know. People are tired of hearing about what a Christian is supposed to be look, look like, taste like, smell like. They want to meet one. And if they could just meet someone whose life was changed from God, they're more than willing to listen and to believe. It is that evidence of a changed life. That is the power of God. It's not the idea that we're trying to get some people to say a prayer because a prayer doesn't save them. But we do know that if something as big as God comes to live in something as small as my heart, there's going to be some changes. God changes us from the inside out. The best evidence that the Bible is true, the best evidence that biblical Christianity is real, is the evidence of a changed life. And with that evidence of a changed life, it is proof of the power of God. This is what is pictured here. That God has the power to forgive sins. How was it proven? By the miracle of the man's healing. How was the evidence that God can forgive sins in our lives? The evidence of a changed life. That is the miracle, the power of God. I'm not who I used to be. God has made me a different creature. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
that evidence of a changed life. That is one of the greatest witnessing tools we have, is that testimony, especially with those with a family. I think I started off with that story of the, the family saying, what do I do with my daughter? I don't know what else to do. I said, you follow Christ. You allow God to change you. And that will make her thirsty. And they said, can you do that for us? Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. So I have a couple that's not even the church that say, please, can you disciple us? We want something changed. They're going to get to church eventually, but they're saying we want something different. We recognize there's got to be something different. That power of God is able to change lives. What we have here is four men who took up a corner. That's where it all started, is they had someone who couldn't get to Jesus on their own, and so they took up a corner. And they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus did the work. We can't change lives. The only thing we could do is take up a corner and bring people to the Lord and allow God to change lives. So maybe there's someone in here this morning that needs to say, like M.J. Parker back in 1948, I need to take up a corner. I'm going to make it my responsibility to bring people to the Lord and allow God in his power to change their lives. God is looking for someone to partner up with them. Someone to say, I'm not going to worry about the obstacles. I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring people to the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone said that and then we had to get a bus to start bringing people to church here? Wouldn't that be wonderful? It could happen. God is just looking for someone to say, I'm going to pick up a corner and make it my business to bring people to the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.